pray with me. Father, we thank you for one small child who in the fullness of time was born of a virgin, born to a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those of us who are under the curse of the law. And now, Lord, we come to you and ask that from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, that we will praise your name because you have been more than faithful to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God is good. All the time. Thank you, men, for singing. I enjoyed that uh, in the earlier evenings of the, of the weekend, and uh, you'll look forward to that tonight. Beautiful, beautiful music. So is it just me, or is anybody else wondering where the year 2010 went? I think yesterday was New Year's Day, and here we are, and the time has gone so quickly. It was um, 2008 in Time magazine that they celebrated the 50 best inventions of the year, and one of those inventions was called the Corpus Clock. Um, A man named uh, Taylor over in England invented it. In fact, he put it up at the Corpus Christi College at Cambridge University. It looks rather like a large gold plate. There are no hands There are just blue flashes of light, one for the minutes, one for the hours, and one that sort of erratically marks the seconds as they pass. And atop that golden clock is the chronophage. The chronophage looks rather like a grasshopper, Uh, a grasshopper who is steadily marching out the seconds of time, and his mouth is opening and closing as he eats up the minutes and gobbles up the time. Somebody has called it fascinating. Another called it terrifying. Taylor himself said, I want people to know that time is not necessarily your friend. The hours pass quickly. And as I thought about 2010 this week, I wondered how I might plan now to use the next year better. And I wondered what it meant when the Scriptures say in Galatians that in the fullness of time God sent forth His Son. Or what Paul must mean in Colossians 4 or Ephesians 5 when he says, redeem the time. Make the most of every opportunity. Would you open your Bibles with me? Ephesians 5. Is Ephesians getting worn in your Bible like it is in mine? We've been in it for a while. And it's well that we have because God has something to say to us in His Word. Would you stand with me as we read together Ephesians 5, verse 15? I'll be reading through verse 20. I'll be sharing the latter part of this On the 26th of December, we'll just have one morning service at 10.30 that day if you're planning for that. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Listen to this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. You may be seated. So Paul has shown us what it means to imitate God. We have to, remember that phrase two weeks ago? We have to live a life of love. Paul uses the word live. The NIV translates live. What is really a Hebraic thought, the word to walk. The question is, how do we walk in the ways of the Lord? How do we walk in wisdom? Going all the way back to the Garden of Eden where God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And then Micah saying, what does the Lord require of you but that you, that you do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God? That's the word. It's here three times in Ephesians 5. Walk in love. Walk in light. Renee, I will remember that song that you sang. Like the light of a million mornings dawning in me. That's what Paul's talking about. Walk in love. Walk in the light. And finally, he says to us, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. And what do wise people do? He says, they don't miss a minute. They make the most of every opportunity. If we're going to be wise, we will have to use our time differently than most people around us do. If we're going to be wise, he says, we will have to watch the way we walk, verse 15. We will have to watch the way we use our time. We will have to walk consciously in the will of the God who has called us. Do you know what this means? It means that our lives will somehow be different from the lives of people around us. As different as hatred is from love, as different as darkness is from light, as different as foolishness is from wisdom, so different will the lives of those who follow Jesus Christ be. We will not be... um, we will, we will be provoked by the world around us without being offended by it. That's hard to do, isn't it? Because the world can be offensive. But it's okay to be provoked. It's, it's good to be a creator of culture, says uh, Gabe Lyons, instead of just a critic of the culture around you. It's good to live in community and not alone. He says, the next Christians, a new little book that Jerome has given me, The next Christians, he says, will not be so focused as we were in the 80s and 90s on being relevant as a church, but rather on being counter-cultural. Isn't that what Paul's saying? Walk in love, not in hatred. Walk in light, not in darkness. Walk in wisdom, not in foolishness. And the first thing he says to us is that you and I cannot waste time without damaging eternity. The way we use time 
has everything to do with our relationship with God. So he says to us, as you're walking in wisdom, and he's writing to this culture, the very Greek culture that gave the world Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, and imagine Paul's audacity to say, we're going to have to do better than that. We'll have to be more wise than Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle because the wisdom that comes from the Spirit is the wisdom that resides in Jesus Christ. It's a wisdom that gives you righteousness and goodness and holiness in the Lord. It's better than the best the world has to see. The SAT, the ACT, the GMAT, and the LSAT can't measure the wisdom that comes from God. This wisdom, he says will change the way we walk. Watch, he says. That's the word. Watch the way you walk. Make the most of every opportunity. Literally, redeeming the time. It's a word, ex agorazo, a word from the marketplace which says, buy up all that they have. It's like a blue light special on time and you want to get every bit, no limit, all of the time you can because this moment will not come again. John R.W. Stott tells about an ad in a British newspaper that simply said, lost yesterday between sunrise and sunset Two golden hours, each with 60 diamond minutes. No ransom offered. They are lost forever. Paul says, redeem, buy up the time. Not the chronos, as in chronological, all the time in the world. No, it's not all the time. The word he uses, kairos, is more like at the time. It's a specific moment in time that must not be missed. What, what did Shakespeare write in, in Julius Caesar? He said, there is a tide in the affairs of men which taken at the flood leads on to fortune. Omitted, all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and mysteries. It's, it's making the most of this moment like the two lovable little vagrants, Frank and Ernest, who are praying to God and saying, God, is it true that, that for you a minute is like a million years? And God's voice says, yes. Well, then is it true that a penny for you is just like a million dollars for us? And God says, yes. And Frank says, God, can I have a penny? <laughs> and God says, Sure. In just a minute. (laughs) In a million years, I'll give you a million dollars. Well, if we had a million dollars this morning, could we buy back the lost opportunities of yesterday? I remember when I first came meeting with a couple of prayer partners here in the church, and we studied Jonathan Edwards' resolutions, which remarkably he wrote before his 20th birthday. And one of those 70 resolutions was resolved. I will not lose a minute of time. But to the best of my ability, I will improve it as much as possible. It's why Philip Melanchthon, the associate of uh, Martin Luther, would every day at the end of the day write down every wasted moment that he could remember and confess it as a sin to God. Redeem the time. 
make the most of every opportunity because every minute of our lives, I'll use a theological term with you and then explain it. Every minute is, is eschatological. It has eternal consequences. Every minute in our lives matters. It's like every moment of our lives is like that moment in the fairy tale when the clock is about to strike midnight. That's where you and I live. I read about a man who never wore a watch. His friend said to him, why don't you wear a watch? He said, because I always know what time it is. He says, how can you do that? He said, because I always know that it's now. And now is the time to act. This is what Paul is saying when he says, if you're wise, you'll redeem the time. Why? Because he says the days are evil. Isn't it interesting, the increment that he chooses? He doesn't talk about the millennia are evil or the centuries or the the decades, you know, the evil excessive decade, whichever one you want to name. No, he says it's the days that are evil because all you and I can do is live in the day. This is maybe a contribution of the 12-step idea that there, there are only days that we can live. I can't, Jesus said, you can't live tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow Today's got enough trouble of its own. The days are evil. We say, yeah, I see evil all around me. Well, there is evil in our world, and people misunderstand evil. And that's why I say we can be provoked by evil, but we must not be offended. We've got to move beyond the idea that we can separate ourselves from evil in our world. It runs through the heart of every person. But we can be provoked enough by evil to choose to set ourselves apart because Henry Nouwen says... You and I are vulnerable to evil. We must not be naive about this. We must be constantly conscious of the truth that the very same passions which cause us to love God could be co-opted by evil if we are not careful. The days are evil. Just a reminder, somebody here sent me this week that in Florida there was a case where An atheist went to court because he wanted to get rid of all the religious holidays. He said, it's not fair. The Christians have their holidays. The Jews have their holidays. We atheists have no holidays. And did you see this? The judge threw it out of court. And the the lawyer of the atheist said, you don't understand. The the Christians have Christmas and Easter. And and the Jews have Hanukkah and they have Yom Kippur. And uh, they have the Passover. We don't have any day. And the judge said, oh, you have a day. Atheists say, well, we don't have a holiday for atheists. He said, sure you do, April the 1st. <laughs> because Psalm 14, verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Oh, the days are evil. Isn't it interesting, though, that he doesn't say the people are evil? Just pick this up. In the parallel verse, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, he says, Walk in wisdom toward those who are on the outside. Making the most of every opportunity, let your speech be seasoned with salt. We may deplore the evil in our culture, but we are not to hate people. We are not critics of the culture. We are creators of a new culture in Christ. So our job is not to be the the resident uh, skeptics and critics, but to somehow say how... By God's strength, can we make this world a different place in Christ? We're new in Christ. How do we we make a difference in the world? And to do that, we have to love people the way that God loves people because you don't know anybody that God doesn't love. He so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. What does that mean about the way we live? I read about missionaries who came home and the wife was uh, glad after a long, hard season of ministry 
to get back to the United States. They were living in her dream missionary home. It was a townhouse with a beautiful patio, and she was a decorator, and she had all kinds of ideas, and she immediately began to decorate that patio. Everything was going well until new neighbors moved in, and they were, in her words, coarse and vulgar. They did things that I can't even say from the pulpit, and as they did this, this obnoxious uh, pattern of their lives provoked her, offended her. She didn't know what to do about it. She was trying hard to love them when one day she came home and the kids had gotten loose on her patio with an orange can of spray paint. And they had painted the walls and the floor and her table. And she was angry and she said, Lord, I can't love them. Right now I hate them. But the Lord said to her from Colossians chapter 3, you are to put on love like a coat. Ephesians 5, live a life of love. How can I love them? She wrote down a list and said, if I did love them, and I don't, but if I did, these are the things I would do for them. And she began to practice that list. She baked cookies for them. She offered free child care for the kids who had spray painted her patio. She invited the wife over for coffee. And as she got to know them, she came to love them and understand their pain which they were acting out and she began to love them in Jesus' name. And the day came when these obnoxious neighbors moved away. They weren't there long, but the day they moved away, she wept because God had given her an unnatural, unconventional, supernatural love for them. Walk in wisdom toward the people on the outside, Paul says in context, Colossians 4 verse 5. Walk in wisdom. The days are evil, but God loves the people and he wants to redeem them. And people who walk in wisdom have to use our time and our relationships differently. I mean that we can't spend our lives the way we are and be pleasing to God. In fact, the truth is, um, I'm going to meddle this morning, but if our lives are about, about this or that, if we are entertaining ourselves to death, as one writer says, if we get so wrapped up in whatever the sporting event is that it's just so important to us that when our team loses, we say, that's it, I'm not going to church today. Really? <laughs> really? Anything is more important than God as if we could waste time Without damaging eternity, wise people use time well. Wise people walk in the will of God. And you're thinking what I'm thinking, oh good, because I've been thinking about the will of God. And I need to know the will of God for my life or my kid's life or my grandkid's life. And I need to know where they're going to go to college. We've been making that decision this week at our house. and We need to know whom they're going to marry. Thankfully, we're not making that decision at our house this week. We've got to figure out these big ticket items in the will of God. Hear the word of God. The will of God is revealed in the Word of God. This book will keep you from sin. Or sin will keep you from this book. But if you want to know the will of God for the big issues of your life, then do the will of God that you know in the small issues of your life. Can I just tell you how crazy it is to say, I'm disobedient to God in all these little areas, but I'd really like to know what He wants me to do about the big thing in my life. Believe me when I say, we are educated beyond our level of obedience. And when we become obedient in the small issues, when we live one day at a time, one minute, one second at a time, depending on Him for our very breath, and we're obedient in the things that God has shown us, 
believe me when I say we will not make mistakes about the big issues of life. But if we don't learn to obey Him moment by moment, we are almost sure to make mistakes in the larger issues of life. May God give us wisdom that we may walk before Him. This is my prayer every day these days. God, just let me walk before You with a consciousness of Your presence in my lives. I want to walk in the will of God that is revealed in the Word of God. And when that takes place, He says, I will no longer be foolish but I will be understanding of the will of God. I will know what He wants me to do, and I will do what He wants me to do. And when we do, that is absolutely, believe me when I say that's not going to make you more relevant to the culture around you, but it will make you counter-cultural to the world around you. That's why you're going to need to be in community and not alone. It's hard to live for God by yourself. We need each other But in this countercultural kind of life, Eugene Peterson envisions it in his little book, Practice Resurrection, where he tells about a young woman who came to his church in her 40s. Her husband was in AA. Her son was a drug addict. And her friend said, you need to come to church. And she was well-read in philosophy, in poetry, in politics. She was an artist among artists. She was gifted in every way. But after two weeks in church, she went up to Eugene Peterson and said, where were these stories for all the rest of my life? I needed this in my life. The first time she took the Lord's Supper, it was like she had feasted at the table of a king because, in fact, she had. It changed the way she thought. And her friends began to take notice. Eugene Peterson moved across the country. Judith, this woman, wrote him a letter and said, it's getting harder and harder for my friends to reconcile the importance of the church and Christ in my life. And then she put in parentheses, because I can't live without Christ. And my friends are starting to notice. And she said, I'm not trying to hide my Christianity, but I don't want them to minimize it or to marginalize the difference that Christ has made in my life. She wrote just this week, a prominent artist whom I know wrote to me and said, is it true that you are going to church? Another friend asked me, are you really going to go on a mission trip to Haiti with the church? She said, I've come to the place where I can conceal it no longer. And the irony, she said, is these very same friends in that arts community, not all artists, but in that arts community. She said, if I had joined the church of Wicca, if I had practiced black magic and pretended that I could levitate, they would have applauded me. But the fact that I followed Jesus in their minds, here's her word, made me too ordinary. But beyond these ordinary things of living one day at a time, she said, and partaking of the Lord's Supper, And following after Jesus Christ like the wise men who still seek Him. Instead of being like the world, she said, actually, I've become not ordinary, but extraordinary. We see it in the lives of those wise men who followed after the star. Listen to the foolishness of the wise. They went to Herod, the king of the Jews, and said, do you know where the one who has been born king of the Jews. How exactly are these guys wise when they go to the one who killed his own sons and they believe him when he says, when you find him, contact me because I want to come and worship him too. 
This is the foolishness of the wise. They follow a star. And when they receive a dream to go home another way, they obey God. And I'm encountering these days young people who say to me, as soon as I get out of college, I'm going to go and see the world. As soon as I get out of high school, I'm going to go and see the world. I need to go and see the world. Believe me when I say what God wants for our our young people, what God wants for these babies we dedicated today is not just that they will see the world, but that they will see the world the way he sees the world and that the world will see Christ in them. Now there's an ambition for our kids and our grandkids. I hear about denominations that don't even proclaim the New Testament where the students know that in the middle of college, they'll take two years. I've run into them in Brazil and over in Europe. They're in, in their own religious tradition, proclaiming what they believe to be true and taking two years of their lives and celebrating that. But somehow in the Baptist tradition, we have this idea like the world around us that more important than the kingdom of God is completing education in four years. By the way, you don't know anybody who loves college education more than I do. But I love the kingdom of God and the will of God even more. And when you and I begin like those wise men following the star, when we begin to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, it will seem like utter foolishness to people around us. It will seem extreme and radical. But I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. Follow Christ. Be wise in the way you walk. Redeem the time. Walk in His will. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your presence in this place. Thank You for Your saving power. Transform our lives by Your grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.